Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO. Hello, this is episode 28 of the designfootball.com podcast. My name is Jay, I'm the resident blogger on designfootball.com and on this edition of the podcast we are doing another club specific episode. This is the third in a row and this time it's St Pauli. Um, I'm joined by one half of the only English language St. Pauli podcast, fell in love with a girl. Uh, one half of it, Sean is the half. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Jay? Yep, yep. I'm I'm good as well. Now, St. Pauli. Uh, for people who don't understand St. Pauli, uh, don't necessarily know too much about German football, can you give us a quick overview? Obviously, we we know the big teams like Bayern Munich and uh, Borussia Dortmund and several Bayer Leverkusen and, and, and various others. Who are St. Pauli? So, uh, St. Pauli are a, uh, a second division Bundesliga team. Uh, they were formed in 1910. Uh, their history kind of trucks along without uh, a whole lot of glory. Uh, a very empty uh, trophy cabinet. Um, through much of their history up until the 80s. And um, what happened is their their club culture changed rather drastically as uh, supporters from uh, Hamburger SV um, kind of got tired of the the right-wing and uh, Nazi-adjacent... Um, supporters and and some of that that political tension uh, that existed on the ground and they found another club and they started attending St. Pauli matches uh in St. Pauli their their stadium the Millenton sorry the Millenton I've been talking with another podcast and their name is Millenton which confuses uh-huh. the heck out of me um so their stadium Millenton uh, Stadion is in the St. Pauli district of Hamburg, uh, which contains the Raperbahn, which is the um, the red light district, uh, and a lot of um, music clubs and bars. So it's it's this this very vibrant um, lifestyle that surrounds the the club. Uh, and as this punk influence grew within the club, uh, attendance started to, to swell and people realized that there was something very, very special happening. Uh, there were uh, disputes between squatters and uh, the police uh, during the 80s, uh, which kind of served as a rallying cry to not only the club, but sort of the the special and weird elements of the St. Pauli district. And so that started to be embraced by the club itself, and and it's grown and grown and grown to the point where um, there's now an English-language site which, which launched earlier in the year. Um, there's now a, a U.S.-based club shop, um, so, so it's it's really started to to swell, uh, but it it really holds on to a lot of the left wing roots, okay. which really caused the the popularity of the club to grow. Okay, so so we're saying that they're sort of left wing socialist, uh, uh, liberal minded as well. That that would go in would tie into it. Is that right? Absolutely. So there's there's the philosophy of no racism, no sexism, no homophobia, uh, no fascism, and never, ever again, the third division. <laughs> uh, 
so so yeah it's a very tolerant club a very uh embracing club um as long as as you hold those values to be true and dear then i think everyone's welcome at sanct Pauli. Hmm. okay so as this this being a kit podcast the the new kits have recently been launched yes, so it's there's there's a the profile isn't necessarily huge but there's um a sense of uh, an impact that you get from Sao Paulo that you probably wouldn't get with other clubs of the same level in in leagues around Europe um so it, it, there is a, a bigger profile to the kit release as a result of that with because of the appeal that they have um internationally as well isn't it obviously you're you're speaking from Canada um and the, there's supports supports groups in the UK, I believe, as well, isn't there? Uh, there's a few in the UK. There's um, there's Yorkshire Saint Pauli, which is probably one of the oldest. Well, I think it is the oldest English-based uh, supporters club. There's also a supporters club in Glasgow. Um, hmm. There's supporters clubs in Brazil, Greece, uh, the United States, in New York specifically. Uh, there's a supporters club in Toronto, Canada, uh, which is not right next door to Calgary, but um, but there is another club in Canada, uh, and mm. and they enjoy a very widespread uh, supporters base around the world. Okay, so you've you've just had the kit release, the mm-hmm. kit. So all, all three kits have been released. Uh, take us through them. Um, start with the home home shirt and and kit what what's that like describe it for us so uh the brand new home kit is uh brown shorts with a brown shirt across the torso of the uh, the new home shirt are what look like paint stripes uh complete with with drips uh and kind (laughs) of rough edges of um of white red and white uh, bands, uh, one on top of each other, covering uh, probably just above the armpit to just above the navel, so quite broad stripes. Um, and our uh, our shirt sponsor, Kongstar, across the middle, of course. Uh, Under Armour is our technical partner. Um, I think that's is that the the correct way of of describing your your, your shirt maker these days. <laughs> Um, technical partner. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's. Uh, it, it depends on the club. I think it depends on which PR team is in, is in control of of that kind of, uh, wording. But yeah, for, I think for a consistent p- nomenclature, I'll say technical partner. Technical partner. <laughs> That's depressing. Um. Yeah. So, how, what's the sponsor? Kongstar. What? What? What is Kongstar? I believe they're. A, I believe they're a mobile provider um okay they aren't in canada so i i believe that's what they do okay all right um so how has that the home kit gone down then because i've seen it and uh, it, it's it's an for me it's like a another example where it's a, a nice idea but maybe hasn't been executed as as well as it could have been all three under armor um all three kits have not gone over terribly well i think part of it is um i think there's a general feeling that under armor doesn't necessarily fit the club culture uh after the um the u.s election the president and ceo (laughs) of under armor uh made some pro-trump comments which obviously went over like a lead balloon with the supporters base uh saying he was good for business in the United States. Um, <laughs> and there has been a lot of dissatisfaction with Kevin Plank, uh, the the founder and CEO of Under Armour, for his comments. Now, mm. that was immediately followed by um, athletes from the Under Armour brand, like Steph Curry, The Rock, um, who came out immediately and said... Kevin Plank does not speak for me. Mm. And I think it's dangerous to view an entire company as a monoculture because clearly the the CEO does not reflect the 
the values of every person who works for the company. Mm. But generally speaking, I think people aren't aren't terribly happy that Under Armour is our our kit provider. Um, and and some of their design choices uh, this year are are not necessarily reflective of 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 some of those values. And, hmm. and that'll be more the third kit, but uh, but I won't yeah. go too crazy. The get the, away, the away kit is the away kit shares a lot of traits with the home kit. Is that right? So it's in slightly different colours. To as obviously, it needs to be a change kit. Yeah. So through the torso, uh, it's paired with white shorts. It's a white torso with a grey uh, brick pattern in it, and hmm. then across the. Uh, the yoke of the shirt there are uh, red and brown stripes uh, and again kind of embracing that that graffiti aesthetic there are some yeah. some drips in the quote unquote paint uh, that kind of dribble down a little bit yeah. um, and I see what what they were trying to do there but but the uh, the, the brick pattern through the torso is is very um, busy especially yeah. when you look at it up close. It is it strikes me as this whole idea of like the 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 shoddily done paintwork and and maybe slash graffiti over the brickwork and the the old looking wall and it just sounds like people who are who are used to sort of a polished site style of doing everything i suppose having an idea of what sort of punk is and what what i don't know what the working class are maybe i don't know it's it it seems like it's a a bad imitation of punk culture Mm -hmm. a caricature kind of yeah that that's the impression i got from it um I mean, it's interesting that I ask you the question, what do you think of the the new kits? And I hear about um, the ethical element of Under Armour. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I I mean, it's great to hear it. And and it was something I was going to come on to anyway. But purely aesthetically, if you just look at the shirt, if you try kind of put anything political to one side for a second... Mm-hmm. Would the shirts appeal? So, let's say they didn't have a badge on them. Uh, they didn't have a manufacturer's logo on them at all. Would would they appeal in that way? Uh, you know, it's it's funny that you should say that. I I think the badge is really what hurts the whole thing. Mm. Uh, and, and in this case, I mean the manufacturer's badge. Yeah. I think if it was almost any other manufacturer, these would be uh, readily embraced. Shirts. Now, I don't speak for the entire supporter base of St. Pauli. It's just impossible. We're, there's too many of us. We're <laughs> too diverse. And we all have strongly held opinions. Um, personally, I am something of an apologist for this set of kits. Mm. Uh, I, I think they... I see what they tried to do. Um and if the message wasn't coming from Under Armour, I think we would be much more receptive to the message. Mm. Um, as as someone said in conversation with me uh, a little while ago, uh, if it when you get bad news from a friend, it's it's fine. If it comes from a stranger, it's it's taken. It has more of an impact. It, it's mm. it's not it's a, a not as soft a blow, shall we say? Um, the and I think I think the third kit kind of perfectly encompasses what I'm talking about here. And, and yeah, because I think that will really bring it into sharp focus <laughs> well what i look at, i look at these kits and it it's a little bit like when you you read an interview of a rock band say and mm-hmm. they seem like idiots and then you hear one of their songs and it sounds like a great song and you think actually that's a fluke you've released that great song not because you're great but because you've just stumbled upon something but then you you 
you read an interview with a band that seem great and and everything they stand for seems fantastic and they release a, a a terrible song and you listen and you go well that's so disappointing and you would apologize or or maybe you would look for that in that song for redeeming qualities but when you see these kits are made by under armor and obviously there's a political issue there you you're not as willing to to give them the benefit of the doubt over what they've created you look at it and say well it's maybe it's cynical and the third shirt is the prime example of that i think isn't it describe that one for us so um the third shirt, which will probably not see a whole lot of traction as they're typically worn for um, Deutsche Pokal, mm. um, th- it's it's a three-tone gray uh, camouflage kit. Uh, it's it's visually very... There's a lot going on there. There's a camouflage pattern. There's the drippy paint... Uh, aspects of the previous two kits mm. plus there's the St. Pauli Tottenkopf that's also worked into the pattern as well in some ah, of the okay. same tones so you'll catch uh, a blob of the camouflage and then there's kind of a little bit of a Tottenkopf sticking out of it. Could you just tell us what that is? Uh, the Tottenkopf is um, yeah. it's the uh, skull and crossbones logo that you you see associated with Saint Pauli in the '80s. One of the supporters. Uh, it's a very famous story. Doc Mabuse, uh, who's a, a, a punk musician, grabbed a a pirate flag from a stall on his way to the mm. game, attached it to a broomstick, started <laughs> flying it at the stands, and it kind of caught on. Um, Hamburg being a port city. There's there's the allusion to history of piracy, um, mm. and and so that was embraced by the club and turned into an, a second badge, kind of sort of. Uh, yeah, it, it rarely appears associated with the shirts, um, but everyone I think has seen the Saint Pauli T-shirts, the black T-shirts with the the white Tottenkopf or or hoodies. Um, are are probably the two biggest items that you'd see those on. And, of course, flags. Hmm. Um, So it's ironic that this symbol that was uh, strictly a supporter-based symbol has been um, taken and trademarked by the club and then repackaged and sold back to the supporters. There's a there's definitely a circle of life involved there. Uh yeah, it that's an interesting point, isn't it? It's it's hmm the it's the, it's unique the, in that there's there's not a whole lot of clubs that have a secondary symbol that's no. as strongly recognized by the by the supporters as the club badge or or even an outside observer. You see a, a skull and crossbones. You think Saint Pauli. If you see the club badge, you also think Saint Pauli. It's just that that Tottenkopf is is it has a very strong um, level of recognition. Yeah. Do, does it strike you that the incorporating of, of of that symbol into a camouflage shirt? The camouflage thing was has been done for the past four or five seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very various... strong element this year. It seems like Nike and Adidas have both um, uh, got some of their their templates uh, have some strong camouflage elements. So I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. No, and the the Nike third kits and these I was talking about these the other day, and their Nike third kits for clubs really for the past few seasons have been a nike release first and foremost rather than a release for the club it's just a colorway of one design and it's distributed to the clubs poorly as it as it turns out um in a lot of cases and yeah this season's or the the new seasons from nike is has a, a sort of um angular camouflage effect like a a, a, a very modern approach um to, to camouflage kind of uh, 
yeah, like a 3D uh, isometric thing, but combined with camouflage. But how do you feel about that? That's like a, almost a, a trope, I suppose, of of this camouflage design being used for your club. Is that is is that something you get on board with, or, or does it have connotations for the the supporter base? Is, is camouflage something you see in the in the stands um, from no. the fans? It's not. Okay, absolutely not. So. Um the the camouflage aspect of the kit has has not gone over well um there have been uh a, there has been a lot of dissent amongst the supporters uh in terms of wearing camouflage which uh has obviously uh, a military and mm. and to a degree um kind of the uh the hunting fraternity um mm, yeah aspect to it uh, which which don't jibe terribly well with um, with the Saint Pauli values. Um, no. pacifism um, is is definitely a, a value uh, mm. held by Saint Pauli supporters, um, and and the camouflage has not gone over well. Now that no. being said, ironically enough there are a few um kits in the past that the club have worn that have incorporated camouflage. But because it's coming from Under Armour and because the state of politics are so heightened right now, I think if it if it came from another brand, it wouldn't be so bad, but because it's Under Armour Mm. Uh, there's there's a uh, a strong feeling of of uh, of rejection towards the third kit, especially, mm. which which is ironic because to go back to how things are shaping up for this year's kit releases, uh, Happy Christmas by the way, because of, of course this is the most wonderful time of the year because we we're starting to see actual kits come out and it's not just <laughs> concepts yeah. and leaks and yeah. concepts we actually get our stuff it's it's awesome and there's still a few surprises <laughs> under the tree um but uh a, a theme that has been strong this year in the releases are not just there are camouflage elements but there's also homage elements there's also throwback elements that are are strong this year um there are and I'm struggling to remember a couple, but uh, Liverpool doing the yeah. callback to the 96 kit, uh, which had the bottle green and white quarters. Um, mm. The uh, Bayern Munich shirts mm. uh, this yeah. year, the home and away, one harkens back to the 90s, one harkens back to the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um, so I think what the designers at Under Armour were trying to do was pull back into the club's past a little bit and bring that that camouflage element forward and i think i i think it just wasn't received terribly well because of who the messenger was mm. in this case so you you mentioned the history there and the thing that's that jumps out to me when you describe the kits is the brown now is that is the brown a constant since day one is because there's not many teams that wear brown there's the the old thing about coventry city wearing yes. a brown away kit in the 70s 80s yeah. um uh, and that, that's like a note. Had a, an alternate kit that was brown uh again okay. not terribly well received um <laughs> brown is a hard color to pull off but it's brown and white have been the traditional colors of st Pauli um since time immemorial i think mm. Um, and and so there is that that tradition of brown mm. and white. So, it, but that is that varies, doesn't it? Because the I I, I look through the history of the kits, and you there's will not a see whole different lot of brown and white uh, in recent history. No, there's but there's a, a it seems to change quite regularly. There's hoops, there's there's stripes as well. Then there's a plainer shirt. Mm -hmm. Is is that um, not? A loss of identity there. I think it's it's an evolution of identity. I don't. Okay. I don't think there's going to be a, a, a time where Saint Pauli don't wear brown and white. It's it's just 
I don't think that'll ever change. How mm. how you represent brown and white, especially since you have those two colors so strongly associated uh, with the club to pull that away. There's never been um, a strong third color or an accent color. Uh, red is used quite often as an accent color, but brown and white is is the is the identity of the mm. club. Uh, yeah, Hamburg is brown vice. Um, that that has always been the way. I think that is always how it shall be. There has been a change in kit philosophy over the last few years, where we're seeing. Uh, different things like gradients and racing stripes and uh, solid colored shirts as opposed to brown and white stripes. But I think that's only because you can only do so much with stripes um, mm. until you have to change something up. So I think we're just in a period where um, solid colors um, are are a little more... A little more popular for the mm. time being, but I think it's only a matter of time before uh, we will see brown and white stripes on mm. on Saint Pauli. Um, so this is this the second season of Under Armour? Is that correct? It is. So last year they wore uh, basically a recycled uh, Tottenham Hotspur um, template as their yeah. home kit, which was an all brown. Um, torso and sleeves with uh, kind of that squared off mandarin collar mm. uh, in red, white, and red uh, striped, uh, which I I wasn't a fan of and was even less pleased with once I realized it was just Tottenham's hand-me-downs. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that can work sometimes. One of the change kits, I think it might have been the third kit, was black, I think, and and had like a, a sublimated uh, big skull as the the main the main yeah. image. Is that right? So that is uh, one of the few appearances of the Tottenkopf in uh, the kit itself. Mm. Um, so the center panel of the shirt had a very sublimated, very very um, very subtle Tottenkopf pattern in most mm. of the the. Um, shop photos it it, it it tends to show the pattern a little more but in person mm. it's actually quite quite subtle oh really okay all right um because we we had on on our website we had a competition a few years ago when hummel took over the contract uh so hummel had the contract prior to to under armor um we had a competition to do to design uh, a kit for St. Pauli and some of the entrants were fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the entries, sorry, were fantastic. And uh, that was one of the designs we used actually. So it was it was interesting to see it uh, being brought to life. Um, the So that was Under Armour. Hummel, Hummel has a longer history with St. Pauli in they used to pr produce a lot of the uh, the merch, I think, despite not making the kits. And then they did get the kit contract uh, for a couple of seasons, they had it. Uh, w were those kits a bit more popular? They are um, certainly, uh, to my mind, anyways. The uh, I think they're the apex of of the kits. Personally, mm. um, in fact, the fifteen sixteen kits uh, incorporated a. Um, a rainbow band around the bottom of each sleeve. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Tottenkopf just inside the collar uh, was in, mm. in rainbow color as well, which mm. um, just shows how, how far they're um, going to go to express their solidarity and embrace that, that diversity. Mm. Um, uh, the, you have the, the rainbow flag flying at the stadium, is that correct? Yeah, it's it's heartening to see rainbow flags flying at more and more stadiums. Actually, mm. um, 
in the MLS. I know that it can regularly be seen in the stands of all the Cascadia teams, so Vancouver, Seattle, and of course the Portland Timbers. Um, it's it's something that's growing, and and I hope to see more of in 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 more stadiums across mm. the world. Yeah, so so Hummel obviously incorporated that into the kit. I remember the kit, and <laughs> I think my uh, my feelings on it was it was then the kit became a little bit overdone because it had a um, it had like a, a gradient pattern in in sort of a zigzag approach in in white and brown I think, um, and I think with the the cuffs in the rainbow colours it was a bit too much, so maybe it would have worked better with a plain shirt. But that that's when the aesthetics become maybe I missed the point somewhat by getting a little bit too obsessed with the aesthetics of it so it, it is a an important point especially with the the way football is is behind the times in essentially not having any out footballers at all so to to have that as a contrast is um is is something where sub- subversive which St. Pauli would would always be. Uh the so the Hummel Hummel came in, they they released a couple of, of seasons worth of kits. What other manufacturers have you had? Do you football, is that right? Do you football um has been a big part of uh the recent kit history going back I wanna say back to about two thousand five. I believe they're gone now. Um I, I could be wrong. Um but I've I've found zero web presence for them in recent years, so I don't know if the thirteen fourteen kit was the end of Do You Football, but uh, yeah, I I can't I can't find them anywhere. Um, so yeah, Hummel was the technical partner for uh, uh, two seasons. Yeah, um, fourteen, fifteen, and fifteen, sixteen. Both kits were designed by uh, your former guest Jason Lee. Mm. Someone yep. I'm I'm looking forward to having on our podcast because he's a Saint Pauli supporter, and I think his his aesthetic matches up really well with with Saint Pauli. He has um, a very playful style. Uh, he's not afraid to get completely bonkers. Uh, and that, <laughs> yeah. and that works really really well with uh with St. Pauli's um aesthetic. And, yeah. And uh he he came out with some cracking kits like I said. I uh, his kits are are my favorite of all time with uh with with Pauli. Yeah, uh, his um... the gradient kit actually lives on. I I just saw a photo on Twitter the other day of Bohemians uh wearing a Hummel team kit. I think it was black and white, but it was that same gradient diamond pattern um, shirt. Oh, really? so they must, I hadn't seen Hummel that. must have incorporated incorporated it into their their team wear range. Uh, uh, I, I commented okay. on Twitter. That shirt looks awfully familiar. <laughs> the uh, Jason, if you follow Jason on Instagram, you you'll see to what extent he he likes graphic patterns and and that kind of thing and he, he will take it to a uh, an extensive degree the um he, he's very much into that that late 80s early 90s approach um mm-hmm. so he, he will post a lot of things like that and and obviously it brings him a uh, success in his designing as well um a freelance designer that we had i can't remember which episode but we had that we had him on but uh, one of the early episodes, I think, of this podcast, yeah. And he's a, a great guy as well. Um. Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K, now on KO. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. 
Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Yeah, so when it comes to these manufacturers, we, we've gone through the, the history of the club and uh, what it stands for today. How does that marriage work between, certainly Under Armour as an example of it, it's, uh, it's a commercial entity. Does, how important are the ethics for each manufacturer when when they enter into an agreement or is that bypassed completely because kind of you both got a job to do which is to sell kits yeah um i um i know for a fact that the uh the club vets uh, their technical partners in terms of um, the working conditions of uh, the people actually manufacturing the garments as well as how the fabric is sourced and where it's sourced mm. from. Uh, so that is something that the club looks into and is part of the decision-making process. Uh, so I, if, if we're wearing Under Armour, I presume that that means they've, they've passed that particular litmus test. Uh, I think the biggest issue is, is with uh, the founder and CEO's politics um, mm. and, and probably uh, very poorly chosen words. Um, yeah. It, that kind of is secondary, though. So if the club has actually gone to the lengths of, of checking what the business practices are and um, how the company's treating the world in general despite being a commercial entity and they've found that, yeah, that's okay, we can deal with this company, a personal opinion from from the CEO is is not really as important, is it? I, I understand that it's going to make fans angry, but you can't really ask more of the club than the what the club has done there, can you? I, I'm very proud of the club that I support because they, they take an interest in the ethics behind the manufacturing of the kit. Um, I, I know that in the past there have been controversies about um, kids stitching footballs, specifically mm. under horrendous conditions, for very little to no money for their labor so by by making sure that Under Armour is producing their shirts in an ethical fashion is is important and and it's it's important to me to know that Under Armour whether it's voluntarily or it whether it's to appease one second division German club which I'm sure isn't the case uh, it, it does it does matter uh, both to mm. the club and to the supporters but of course when Kevin Plank shoots his mouth off that makes headlines whereas well we have a, a factory that that stitches together bits of polyester uh, under ethical conditions does not make headlines mm. so it is it is a dichotomy but uh, one one that I think the headlines tend to overbalance. The other mm. thing is is you have to bear in mind that Under Armour backed up um, a a small truck of money and said, "Here you go." At the end of the day, uh, we can take bad money if you want to look at it that way and do good things with it. Mm. In fact, the yep. launching of the uh, Under Armour kit deal, coincidentally or not, um, launched at around the same time as uh, the club's uh, music school for youth. So whether or not that all plays together or not, um, you, you have good money to do good things with, which can be mm. community outreach, which can be charitable donations, um, expanding the number of players because St. Pauli is a sports club. Uh, rather than a football club, you can take some of that money and put that towards other programs. Yeah, so that that was going to be my next question. Actually, that uh, I obviously go onto the the club shop website of various football teams and and look at the ranges. And 
St. Pauli's range is fantastic of all the different merch. They sell the key rings and the hats, the beanies and jackets and, and track pants and all this kind of stuff. And they seem to do it really well. And they, they've also produced these beautiful, um, like, glossy catalogues of all their ranges each season. I don't know if they still do. I imagine they, they still do. Uh, it seems so polished. It They seem to be... A, a commercial entity to such a great extent that you wouldn't necessarily expect it and that that's maybe a prejudice that you wouldn't necessarily expect someone who have these ideals these left wing and, and liberal ideals to be able to do selling selling shit so well um, but the way you describe it I suppose it isn't a, a, a conflict there is it 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 is and it isn't I mean some of uh some of the the knickknacky sort of kitschy stuff i i think there's a lot of that and and if you can put a tottenkopf onto it then i think sankt Pauli as an organization will always take the temptation to put a tottenkopf on it mm. and sell it for uh, a few euro um but they have a very strong identity and and they do a very good job of mm. of catching people's attention with that that identity i keep wanting to say brand which seems <laughs> antithetical to to what we're talking about here but they do have a very strong brand for lack of a better word but we'll stick with identity um and and if you walk up and down the street and you see someone wearing uh, a black t-shirt with the tottenkopf that grabs a lot of attention and that spreads or rather that that gives the launching off point into a conversation about well, what is this oh why is it a skull and crossbones why how did this all oh it's a german football team okay weird what what are they all about oh it's it's inclusive oh it's very punk rock okay cool and then you grab people and and pull them into into the supporter base Mm. So this is we, we mentioned that the kit releases are higher profile than you'd necessarily have for uh, other teams of, of that level um, on field level mm-hmm. uh, is there an extra responsibility do you think or, or should it be read that there's an extra responsibility in providing St Pauli with the kit Um in effect, you. Not everyone's politics are the same, but you, no. in effect, you're you're kitting out the good guys. You're you're kitting out the people who are fighting the good fight. So, trying to make the world a better place. That's the idea behind it. Um, so certainly, that that would I would be sympathetic to that idea. So, is it, does the responsibility go beyond the supporter base? in that you are trying to appeal to the world, in effect, to the the more people that get on board with these ideals, the more people will be educated in, in how we treat the the planet a little bit better and our, our fellow humans a little bit better. I mean, the other day, the, there was the... Um, there were, whether you agree with it or not, there were the protests uh, in Hamburg over the G20. Was I take it a lot of these those people protested would have been... St. Pauli fans rather than say Hamburg fans. Yeah, St. Pauli has been very involved in the anti-G20 uh, protests and demonstrations and public statements. Um, you saw FCK G20 in the Run DMC style logo stickers pop up mm. very shortly after the um, the announcement was made that G20 was coming to Hamburg. Personally, I think the organizers of G20 could not have picked a worse place <laughs> to hold yeah. their their meetings uh, because Hamburg is so charged, and especially uh, the district of St. Pauli, uh, that I, I don't think they really knew what they were getting themselves into. Mm. The, yeah, the club has been very much... Um, directly uh, 
putting themselves in a position of being the voice against the G20. Uh, insofar as last uh, season, our, our uh, manager, who has now taken more of a, a front office role as, a, as the technical director and a, a relationship managing position uh, within the club, uh, Evald Lienen, uh made a, a, a very public... Um, uh, statement on behalf of the club about G20 and and uh, the state of affairs around Hamburg, which if you've seen any of the photos, uh, the police use of force has been atrocious, at least by North American standards. I don't know if that's that's necessarily how how things are typically done by the German police. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the images of it and... Uh, I, I also see the images as they are they are uh, translated or edited by mainstream media. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's it it still looks bad, <laughs> even when you take that to, into consideration. So yep. yeah, um, yeah, it's it's that there are always going to be um, different viewpoints on on who who is causing the trouble and who's not, and to what extent that trouble should be stamped out sometimes in in literal terms so that's a separate issue but it when you consider that these are people who are taking to heart the world's problems in such a such a way which is goes far beyond the the general man in the street and certainly beyond what football does the the force for good that football is globally and uh, a lot of people would be of the opinion that football is a force for bad now um, when you consider the TV deals and so on and, and who's involved with the TV deals in, for example, the UK. Um, when you are creating a kit for this team, all, all of these things should be taken into consideration and, and maybe there should be a, a company that's fighting the good fight themselves. I, I don't disagree. Um... Under Armour, I think, is a name that represents larger business, um, mm. one of the major players in terms of sportswear. And it's ironic that a brand like that has paid attention to St. Pauli, uh, a club with literally zero trophies in its cabinets. Um, mm. Now, whether or not the, the company being American... Uh, playing part in that, I think, is not um, it's not immaterial. So we are seeing the partnering of a very large company with a very small, relatively speaking, club. Um, so I I think that it it exists in in tension, um, but of course this is a club that has always existed in a certain state of tension with itself um, insofar as um, football being a business and supporters who want to see less business involved in football. Um, the politics aren't, are, I think, are fairly homogenous, but like I said, I... I always hesitate to to uh, depict any any group of people in a monoculture, uh, even so far as uh, the suit curve existing in tension with the Gegenrad, the the two major stands, uh, the ultras in the suit curve don't aren't, aren't always making the decisions that reflect the voices of people in the. Gigenrad or the Nord Curve or uh, the rest of the stadium. So it there's always that element of of tension, and I think as the club grows, that that tension continues to to exert itself. Okay. All right. So, so going back, maybe incorporating this as well. What. What would you like to see from the St. Pauli kit? And and you can maybe pick a manufacturer uh, as well if you like. And I, I don't know if there is any that that would really be 
entirely true to the ideals of of what the club stands for culturally um but what what design would you like to see what what would you like it to to give off you know i talked earlier about tradition and and brown and white uh stripes uh, being kind of the traditional design i would love to see brown and white hoops or even brown and black hoops um mm. i like hoops personally uh, I, I don't know about you. I'm 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 very particular about colors. I like flappy polo shirt style colors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, something something dark and rich and wide like that uh, would be my my perfect kit. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then and then you can you can change it up easily by having say. Uh, an away kit that's white and that way you can interchange the socks and the shorts nicely so that you can you don't have to necessarily have dedicated change items you can just mm. swap it out uh which i'm not sure if that works for the the club's bottom lines because if you can sell change items then that's that's more more euros in the till uh <laughs> yeah. and going towards uh other parts of the club um yeah yeah I, it's that that could be the conflict there. You might have summed up the conflict of whether you have change items or not. Because if you have the change items, you're fleecing the fans. If you are providing uh, multi-purpose items that that can be worn with various shirts and everything's interchangeable, then then you're providing true value to the fans. So maybe that's that's something to check on whether each season whether they go which route they go down because <laughs> that um <laughs> it's something i've written about before because you you can even increase sales that way because if something can be worn with more with more than one shirt then surely it's it's a it's a better purchase but that seem that that is the gulf between perhaps the gulf between the the commercial thinker and the ethical thinker and it might be one case where the ethical thinker actually um, thinks outside the box and maybe is is more uh, has has better commercial aptitude. Ironically, uh, mm-hmm. that that might be the key to it. But probably well, not. you look at say a massive club like Manchester United, uh, mm. three or even four kits, um, mostly with dedicated change items. Are mm. you giving the supporters of the club more variety to choose from, or are you just being more cynical and looking at the bottom line and saying, well, you know, if we put out black socks and black shorts uh, for change items, then, then we we can get another couple of hundred thousand pounds or, or what have you, or millions of pounds, I'm sure, <laughs> would be the economy of scale in this case with, with the example of Manchester United. Um, who knows? Uh, mm. I, I, think, I think even having a third kit hasn't always been embraced by, by supporters of the club, uh, to the best of my knowledge, simply because they are typically worn for uh, the DFB Cup, and that's about it. It might make a regular season appearance, but it's generally a, a commercial venture more than anything else, mostly because we typically don't do terribly well in the Cup. So mm. we see very few appearances. Um, but personally, I like third kits only because it's it's your chance to do something a little weird and wonderful. Um, going back to Jason Lee uh, with his, uh, I think it was the fourteen fifteen third shirt, which kind of broke with tradition. It's it's got um, black raglan sleeves, but through the body it kind of looks black, which is becoming the traditional color of our our third kits. Uh, but if you look at the shadow pattern, which are a bunch of stars with a pattern behind it, it's actually brown and black uh, when you get up close and look at it with with kind of these sky blue details on it. And in fact, Jason incorporated a very playful through line through all three of the shirts. There's glow-in-the-dark elements on each so on the third uh, kit. Yeah. There's yeah. the glow-in-the-dark badge 
on the inside of the away shirt there's there's a little skull motif next to your heart uh, and on the back side of the collar on the home kit that year there's a, a, a pattern of stars across the underside of the collar with the Tottenkopf in the middle and they all glow in the dark as well it's it's I, I like that the third kits are this palette on which you can mm. go a little bonkers and I really tend to like some shirts that are, are, are off the beaten path a little bit yeah uh that that again is that that notion of of providing value to people so if you are going to release a third shirt make sure it's distinctive make sure it's it's something extra that's being given specific to that club and then maybe people will embrace it more um this this has been uh really great speaking to you sean uh really enjoyed it it's i think we we are both I mean, your your politics are, I think, probably more steadfast than mine, but there there certainly is a conflict for the kit geek in 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 seeking out what's right in the world, but also really liking these uh, these polyester creations by often horrible companies. It's, so it's true. I mean, uh, kits have always been since I started watching football uh, after the 94 World Cup, kits were really kind of the embodiment of what was different about football. And and as I grew to love the sport, um, the shirts sometimes leave me cold uh, in terms of, of designs. But there's, there's something wonderful about, uh, especially this time of year, where you start seeing stuff come out. Uh, to use the Christmas analogy one more time, uh, hmm. and and you get these little surprises, and and you start to see leaks, and then the actual kit, and how does that compare? Uh, it's 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 a wonderful thing, and and mm. as cynical and commercial as football kits can be, and I think become increasingly cynical. We're we're now looking at a lot of clubs, my own included. Where, where we're seeing one-year kit cycles only because that's that's the best way to to get more money into the till yeah um, I, I like I like the variety of not being stuck with the same shirt year on year uh, like for for example a, a two-year kit <laughs> cycle uh, if I had to look at that under armor shirt with the red collar uh, the the Tottenkopf, or sorry the <laughs> the Tottenham uh, hand-me-downs one word season. I'd probably be pulling my hair out right now. That that's uh, a Freudian slip right there. It really is. <laughs> um, so so there's upsides and and downsides to um, to the one-year kit cycle. The upside is you know as as football supporters, we all have the choice of whether or not we have to have. The most current shirts, and I think, I think we we've seen that market reach a crescendo, and I think supporters uh, will will soon embrace um, the idea that maybe we don't all have to have the most current shirt, and maybe we'll just wait for a design that speaks uh, speaks to us uh, mm. before we run out to the shops uh, with cash in hand. Yeah, it's right that the it, they've created the the pressure for themselves by my move into this one year cycle, um, but it's it's good that they are now as a result under under pressure to create something special or vary the designs. So sometimes you get some of the fans, and and the next season maybe you get some of the others. So again, it's a a good thing for the consumer that they have that variety, but. Um, the the end goal is always uh it's always commercial but as you say if it's it's good or or bad money it makes often makes not too much difference if you're going to do good things with it um which which St Pauli do do a lot of good um yeah it's uh it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, good luck with the podcast how do we get hold of the podcast where where is it? Is it's on iTunes or, or what? What do they call it now? It's now 
Apple Podcasts or something, isn't it? Um, we, where else can we get you? Uh, we're on Twitter. Um, I ironically didn't use Twitter until we started up the podcast, and mm-hmm. Samantha gives me stick at every opportunity to re- and reminds me that I, I didn't like Twitter or didn't like the idea of Twitter until I <laughs> started using Twitter, and now I'm, I'm slightly addicted. So on Twitter, we're at withagirlpod. Uh, you can also email us, fell in love with a girl podcast at gmail.com. The email address so long you need to stop and take a nap in between and then <laughs> carry on. Um, or if you want to look for us uh, through your favorite um, podcast app, I believe the best way of finding us is searching fell in love with a girl, all one word, and we should pop up. But we always post our most current uh episode uh pinned to the top of our twitter feed ah okay well, so that's ideal um yeah so i i listen every week uh or ev- ev- well it's it's more or less every week isn't it it's for every match day really isn't it we we do one every match day in uh the bundesliga there is the english week which is uh a very match dense week uh, usually two or three fixtures, and uh, and this year we tried to do one for every match during that week, which was three, and we will not be doing that again. It was it hmm. was a little crazy, but um, yeah, we we publish after every match day. Sometimes there's a little bit of a lag between uh, the time the podcast is produced and the time the podcast is published we're already fighting against an eight hour time delay so we're working from under the gun and then i have uh, a bad case of audio editing induced narcolepsy so by the time i'm editing the pod it's usually around midnight or so sometimes i can Mm -hmm. push through till one or two in the morning but uh, usually i fall asleep and plant my face right on my ipad yeah, uh, yeah, I I feel your pain. Um, or, or, but we we do this for the love of it. We shouldn't forget that. So oh, this is absolutely a labor of love. Um, we every episode we do a non-commercial commercial, which is uh, just a shout out to something we like uh, and accept no money for. Uh, every every episode costs us money, and we don't care. We we love doing it. I love sitting down with my girlfriend every week and watching football and talking about it. So really, it's as much for us as it is for the listeners. Um, yeah, I think first and foremost, if you if you're pleasing yourself, then then you're on onto a winner. Um, yeah. uh, if you want to check us out, we are designfootball.com. Uh, we are design football.com on facebook uh and design football on twitter i'm j29 as if you want to speak to me directly uh thanks again sean uh thank you for coming on it's been a pleasure talking to you uh i will continue to listen to all of your podcasts i hope you've enjoyed speaking to me about st pauli kits and all the best for the new season. I'm not sure if I want you to get promoted, though. That's the difficult thing. I think you you might be exactly... I can focus on the politics where you are. As soon as you make it into the, the Bundesliga again, and it, it's... Or, or Bundesliga 1, then it's a bit like either things go very badly, as they did last time. I think you got relegated straight away. Um, or you start to do well and then you become part of that horrible machine and i, I don't think i want you there is it, is that is that cruel uh, no not at all i think uh i think second bundesliga is the sweet spot for us we had a narrow escape from being relegated to the third division which would have been disastrous both financially uh, for the club, for the supporters, especially supporters like us from abroad, where um, they're they're not in the news and the headlines, and they're not as accessible uh, through larger media outlets, um, but still remaining in, in the second Bundesliga, still remaining accessible and able to kind of spread that that set of values. Uh, and be 
enough in people's faces uh, without having to concern ourselves with the the issues that big clubs have to face, which is competing against Bayern Munich and mm. Borussia Dortmund. Uh, and and inevitably, I mean, how how do you win that battle? Um, so I, I think the to go back to the the tension, I think our position in the world is is perfect right where it is right now. And this has been an absolute pleasure uh, being able to uh, to vent my my kit nerdery uh, <laughs> with you because you're you're very passionate and very knowledgeable and uh, this has been a distinct pleasure. Uh, I hope we get to do this again next year. Yeah, I, I, it'll be uh, great to speak to you um, again soon. We we can we'll find other things to talk about. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, kit kit related or not. So uh, yeah, brilliant having you on, Sean. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. And soon we'll have a, another podcast with another guest. So stay tuned for that. Thanks very much for listening. Bye bye now. Goodbye, everyone. Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO. 